0: It's a, if you want to go to Luke chapter two, I'll be there in a minute. It is Sunday's the beginning of a new week, right? We start over. It has not been a good week at the Cassidy's. We, you know, Melinda and I don't, we don't get sick very much and we rarely get sick together. But this week, oh yeah, it started as a cold and then it got an infection and then we both got bronchitis and we've just been, and then I had surgery on my finger on Thursday. It's been something I've been needing to get to. We're all weak. I mean, we've kind of took up our positions. In the house, and, and then just we just destroyed boxes of Kleenex together. <laughs> and kind of need a wingman here. I'm telling you the story because I'm into some trouble, and I'm not sure it's what I said. It might have been how I said it, it might have been painkillers I was on. But anyway, it's Friday, it's been going, it's a long week, and I mean, you can't see the carpet, you can't see the floor through the Kleenex. It looked like it snowed in our house kind of swishing around. And, and then I said again, I don't know if it was what I said or the, the way I said it, probably the painkillers, but I just said, you know, honey, the place looks like a dump. I mean, how hard would it be to pick up the phone and call that lady that cleans the place? And then she said, I'm the lady that cleans the place. <laughs> so, and then she threw a box at me that, I mean, Troy Aikman would envy the spiral on that thing. And then she said, how hard would it be to call the yard guy and get him to do the leaves? I'm that yard guy. So <clears throat> so we're just starting all over, right, honey? It's like start brand new. I love Christmas at Grace. It's my favorite season of the year here because we get to, you know, the, the various gifts in the church get to express themselves making the place so beautiful. The decorations that we do, the musicians and the singers get to do what they do well. We let them show off a little bit. And the point of all of it is to help us get ready for, you know, the Christmas event, you know, the birth, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the hard work that we do here, it is is so that, you know, like last week, we did uh, the Mosaic event. And then about every two years, we we do uh, Advent devotionals, so as a family, a church family, we, and as families, we can all go through and have an experience together so that we can, we can bring Christ back to Christmas, like the bumper stickers used to say. And the whole purpose of this series, O oh, Come, Let Us Adore Him, is, is to emphasize the, the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father that sent Him, and the power of the Spirit that He leaves behind for us in the context of a very busy season a season that's so easy to get distracted. And generally speaking, it's very common for this to be an, a, a highly emotional season. It seems like some of the worst of events in our lives save themselves to sucker punches during the holidays. And so for Advent at Grace, we, we try to do what we can so that you can experience the fullness of the, uh, of the Father sending His Son so that you might worship in the, in the context of chaos that's going on around you because Christmas is about worship. It's all about worship. And worship itself is it's a response. Worship is, is an effect from a previous cause. It is when we react to who God is and what God has done, and, and then it finds itself in, in, the, in, in, in verbs. Worship is an action word, worship does things, and that's what we're going to look at today. And what I'd like to do today, the application for today is for the rest of Advent, we only have less than two weeks left, barely 10 days left until Christmas, and the big ask is gonna come later with the details, but what we wanna do is every single day to start the day, and bonus points if you end the day, but start the day, and start means the very first thing you do, take on these two disciplines, uh, to cultivate worship, to bring, to bring the presence of Jesus Christ into Christmas. And this can be a life child, lifestyle change for you. If you maybe just do it these first couple, at least last couple weeks of Advent, you might find yourselves you know, seeing what happens when you start the day and end each day, bringing the, the nature of God and the actions of God into your life and find yourself worshiping. I was, uh, the, the importance of the starting the day right, I was reading a, a book summary on productivity the other day, and the book is called, oddly, it's called Eat That Frog. Some of you might have read the book, it's a popular book, Eat eat That Frog, and the reason it's titled that is because Mark Twain had a quote that said, if you, if you started each day and you had to eat a live frog, you know, wouldn't it be great to do that first so that later on, you'd know, you'd have a sense of, of satisfaction that the hardest thing you had to do all day is behind you. Just get it done. And so in the context of productivity, what is, what is that frog? In this book, it says it is, it is the biggest, most important task that you have. It is the greatest positive event that you do. You do that first, kind of two parts. You do that first and you finish that task. You eat that frog. You do it first and, you, and don't stop until you finish it. That's the task. It's a life discipline test. It is, it is a, it's a personal challenge. It's. A, this is, and that's what we're trying to do here. Worship first. The first thing you do before anything else happens in the morning, do this one thing. And we're going to look at two truths today to help us learn how to bring worship into the Advent season. And these two truths, we know them. I, now I don't think anybody's going to be surprised at the content, but the problem is, is that we don't apply them. And these two truths, I would say out of the, or disciplines, whatever, habits, out of the top five things that have influenced our family life, These are two of these are in the top five. These have, have changed the atmosphere of the Cassidy family for the good. And so I bring these to you to say it's not an Advent thing. It's a lifestyle thing. It is a way of enjoying the fullness of what it means to be human in many respects. Two actions, two precepts two things, two ways, you know, two two frogs to eat, you know, first thing, okay? Principles of worship in the Christmas season. The first principle is this, is worship is musical. Worship is musical. Now I told you, you knew that. I mean, that's the first thing we go to when we think of worship. Worship is music. Worship is musical. Look at the passage that was read in the Advent wreath here, chapter 2 of Luke. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, and they were keeping watch over the flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Behold, I have good news and great joy that will be for all people. And for unto, unto you is born this day a child in, this David, in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby uh, wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then look at this. And then suddenly, after saying that, suddenly there was with them, the angels, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. That sentence, verse 14 of Luke chapter 2, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those whom he has pleased. That is the climax of of this movement, of this storyline. In other words, every sentence is leading up to verse 14 and then leading away from that. And that sentence, verse 14, that's a lyric. That's a chant. That's a song. That's music. And what's interesting is it it says this whole, some translations say an entire company of heavenly hosts, because hosts are military. So an entire company of, of, you know, of of army angels show up and start chanting this. And all of a sudden, why does this happen? I mean, these angels, these, these military angels did what they were supposed to do. They delivered the message. It was clear. They knew where to go. They knew how to get there. They knew what to look for. So why suddenly did this whole company show up if if they've completed their task? And here's why. Because the universe was not formed or designed for efficiency. It was designed for wonder. God made the universe not just so that we might try to understand it. He designed it in a way that we might be awestruck by it. And, and a, a single angel can't come along a shepherd field and say, oh, yeah, bring good news, great joy to all of mankind. And angels just stand by and go, yeah, what he said. I mean, they just have to show up suddenly, and they have to start, they have to start singing. They have to chanting or, 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 or do, this, do these rhythms. Because that's what happens to people when they worship. Worship is musical. Music has power. Greatness happens in music. We know this intuitively, instinctively, but it's biblical. It's all over the Bible from cover to cover. The, the creation story, there's so much power in music. The creation story is a story of music. Genesis chapter 1 is a poem. It all rhymes in Hebrew. And, and the, the, the idea here is that in tra- tradition is that we were, creation is in, in music or or by music. Uh, music itself. Think of it this way: music itself is, a, is an expression of of creativity, of creating something. Sometimes even out of nothing, if you will, right? You have nothing, silence, and then you create something beautiful, music. Or if you want, out of something, you could out of noise, you you bring about a symphony. That's creation, and and music has the power of creation. That's why both Lewis and Tolkien, in their creation stories, the creation event is taking place during a song. The lead is singing things into existence. The number one recited, remembered, referenced Old Testament salvation experience salvation at the Red Sea. And what happens at the end? When it's all said and done, at the end of chapter 14, the Egyptians are gone. Almost all of Exodus chapter 15, Miriam says, we're going to have to write a song. First song written in the the Bible is Miriam's song of salvation. Because she wants everyone to remember that salvation is from Yahweh. Just the other day, Melinda was saying, "How, how how can I know every single word of a song I know from junior high, But I can't remember why I'm in the garage. (laughs) Because of music, because of song, because of the power of that. And God doesn't want us to forget that salvation is from Yahweh. And so he puts a song to it. He puts music to it. He makes it a poem. The book of Psalms, right in the middle of your Bible, there are 150 songs. They're just, they're songs. And this isn't just an Eastern value. It's also Western value. Plato in his Republic, How to Build the Perfect Society, spends two pages on economics and 40 pages on music. He says education begins with music. He said if a civilization were to descend into darkness, it would be first seen in its music. Worship is music, worship is a response to who God is and what God has done. When the shepherds hear from the angels and they experience what they were told to do and they're coming back, here's how they respond. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for what they had heard and what they had seen as it was told to them. They responded to. You think they were humming? I bet they were singing. I bet they made a song out of it because there's power in that. Worship, music, song, lyrics, chants, These things are mysterious. They are beyond the physical. They are mystical. They are transcendent. They're maybe even sacred. Music brings the fullness into our human experience. As long as there's been mothers and babies, there have been lullabies. As long as there have been lovers, there have been love songs and breakup songs. The power of music, the power of song, you can see it. You can experience it in sorrow and in death, maybe sometimes like no other time. Have you ever been on the deathbed with someone that you love and enjoy, and all the words have been spoken, and nothing else can be heard, and you think the person is is in between, they're in Neverland, they're not here, they're not there, And you just wonder, and you talk to each other, and then someone sings a song. You gather around the bed, and you sing an old hymn. You exalt the name of God. You bring up worship to the Savior of that man or woman laying there, and then you can see them physically respond to that. You can see that something is happening that cannot be explained. It's not their ears that were broken. It's not that they're unable to comprehend, but now, Music, in its stealth capability, is able to get to the soul of this person and ignite that and let them celebrate. That's the power of music. That's a holy moment. That's music. That's why Augustine said, the one who sings, prays twice. And he said that because you pray with your mind, but when you sing, you pray also with all the passions involved in song, all the passions of all the songs different types of songs. And so it doesn't always have to be joyful. And sometimes when, when a person is in need of courage, you sing a song. Uh, Paul and Silas in the Newer Testament, you can read a story where uh, they're captured because of their faith. They've, they've been caned. They've been whipped. Right? They're in shackles. They're in a prison. It's around midnight. What do they do? They sing a song. They worship in a hymn. Jesus, in a time of, of solemnity, he, in a solemn moment, the, the, men, the men that he loved don't appreciate the significance of it, but the last day of his life, before he's fulfilling the, the assignment of obedience that the Father has given him, they have the Lord's table together, and this is how it ends. And they sung a hymn, and then they went to the Mount of Olives. That was the holy moment. That was a transition between having the past and going into the future where things change on that mount. And Jesus wants to make that hinge. He wants to sing a hymn. The point is, is that worship is music. And I think we know that worship is singing. I'm not sure we take advantage of it. I don't think we use it like we should. It's it's something that we have available to us. And I'll say this, if music isn't a very important part of your life, there's an an important part of your life that's missing. There's a whole whole side to our brain that enjoys most of the Bible, is poetry or narrative or song. The fullness of our existence is this way. And and at Grace, just just to give you an example of how important it is here at this church, we've spent a lot of money on on the acoustics and the sound system here. We want everyone to worship. We want everybody to express their singing in worship. And so one of the reasons, by the way, we drop the shades and we make it dark in here is so that no one will be self, you know, I mean, just kind of too much concern for themselves and they can express themselves in a freer way. You wouldn't believe what we go through just in the volume control. You know we have a decimeter in the booth and we don't want it to be too loud coming at you too strong that's not a value but we don't want it to be too soft because at least if you're even remotely like me I don't want to hear my voice I know no one else wants to hear my voice and so I want it to be loud enough to where I can sing but not loud enough to where it can be heard and we do that's some of the values we have here because we, we understand this value of the power of worship in music and song, and so the application for our Advent season, okay, that's, that's the truth, the value, the eat that frog here, is that every morning, every morning, the very first thing you do for the next few days is you start the day with worship. You don't do another thing, and you, and you, you start that song, and you don't do another thing until you finish the frog, okay? Don't get up in the middle. You start a song, and you finish the song. You start each and every day with worship. You want bonus points? End the day with a God-fearing, you know, Christmas, God-worshiping song, and watch what happens to you when you start and you end each day that way. Again, this has been a value in our family. I I kind of inherited this from Melinda in a lot of different ways. She loves musicals, and if there's not a Bible principle that can solve a problem, I promise you there is a musical that has an answer to whatever your issue is. There's a line and there's a lyric. But, you know, when we bought our house 20-something years ago, the first thing I did is is I had to, old school, we hardwired into every room a speaker. And our kids woke up every morning, you know, they got up at 7, 5 till 7, we would start the morning with a worship song. Very slow, very quiet, so they could ease their way into the day. At the end of every night, after we put the kids to bed and we would pray with them, we would end each night with a lullaby." These lovely songs that were filled with, you know, God's Word, meditating on these things. And if we did it for no other reason then at the end of every day, we had like seven minutes of peace and quiet, you know, it's seven minutes of just worship music. That was a good thing. But the point is, is that we were using the power. We understood the power of music. We understood the power of song, lyrics, poetry. We understood that. And we knew that's a great way to start a day and that's a great way to end the day. And so here's the appeal here. This is the eat the frog part. Why don't you do that? You want to bring worship, you know, the presence of God into the Advent season this year? You start the day and you end the day with worship songs. You see. You see if you can't experience the presence of God in that context. First thing, the very first thing, and you finish the song. Here's the second principle it's obvious, you know this, but worship is physical. Worship is physical. It's an action. It's a choice. It's, it's the the body is involved in this. Our posture is in, is is dedicated to worship there. In other words, there's, there's not, you know, in the Bible, there's not Presbyterians and Episcopals, you know, just kind of with their arms folded and, you know, just Americans kind of being stiff, right? There's passages all over the Bible. I don't have to survey them. I mean, you know, you know, clap, Clap your hands, all you nations. Praise to the Lord. You know, shout to the God who cries of joy. People do, you can't find people in the Middle East just standing there worshiping. It's not a, they got to get their bodies involved because posture in our physical bodies affect the way we think. It says in Daniel that three times a day, Daniel got on his knees and praised the Lord and prayed to him. He did things. William James, a famous uh, psychologist, psychiat, psychiatrist, and I guess psychologist rather, I'm sorry, and philosopher a couple, maybe a hundred years ago, or said, he said, look, I don't sing because I'm happy. I'm happy because I sing. I don't sing because I'm happy. I'm happy because I sing. God has wired us in a way where, you know, our, our, the way we think absolutely affects our behavior, but it's in a loop, friends, our behavior affects the way we think. The way we structure our bodies, our physical bodies, it changes the way we think. The way we think changes the way we stand. The way we stand changes the way we think. The way we think changes the way we stand. And the point here is that, is that we're, the worship is physical, and you have to do things to really enjoy the fullness of worship. And, and in our story that we looked at, in, the, in, in, the, in Matthew's uh, account of the Gospels where the Magi, the wise men, are coming from the east and they find out that Jesus is in Bethlehem. And when they go there, it says to worship him. Here's, what, here's how it ends. It says, when they saw the star, they, were rejo- they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. They fell down and worshiped him. They, they had exceeding, they were exceeding in great joy. Do you think they kind of went, yep, neat? No. The second chorus of fall on your knees, behold your king, before him lowly bend. You have to do something. You have to do something. And the, the posture that we have towards the spirit of God says a lot about our will. And, and that's why worship is a choice. Sometimes we need to tell our bodies what to do so that our mind can catch up to that. And, and there's postures of praise that are like this. You'll see people do that, right? And, and a posture that I would like for you to consider for the Advent season is a posture of openness. This is, this is church history actually it precedes the church, but people hold their hands open like this. You can do that right now, a posture of openness. Hands open, saying, "You know what? I, you know, Lord, I, I want you, palms up. I want you, I want you to give me something that I need to receive." It's a posture of of saying to the Spirit, "I want to move where you want me to move. I want to think what you want me to think." There, there's um, there's kind of a funny attorney, an attorney named Bob Goff. As a matter, you might have known him. He's a good Christian man. Uh, he's a famous speaker. Actually, he's coming to Grace. He's doing the the adoption thing that uh, Grace is hosting, and he's the primary speaker there. Uh, he's known as an uh, activist. He wrote a, a wonderful book called Love Does. You might have seen him on, on TED Talks or YouTube. But he's, a, he's an attorney, and he's so committed to this idea of, of cognitive behavioral therapy or, you know, what you think and what you, your, your posture, and he starts with posture. Your posture changes everything. And so whenever his clients are in deposition, he requires them to have their hands up like this. And he says, look, I know you're going to be doing this for hours. The deposition is going to go on and on, and it's going to be very easy for you to turn and make a fist. And he said, this is a quote, he goes, you know, when I, my hands are in a fist, I can be against hamburgers. I mean, it doesn't matter what the topic is. He says, listen, he talks to his clients, listen to me. You're going to hear things you don't want to hear. You're going to, you're going to maybe be unjustly accused. Put your palms up. And just be open to hearing that. He's committed to the point where he'll kick kick you under the table if you don't have your palms up. And his his point is is that you can't be, it's really hard to be stiff-necked and stubborn with your hands like this. He understands structure, you know, and and posture. He says, when your hands are like this, you're open. You want to receive. You want to be listening. And so here's the application. Today, we're going to do an experiment, okay? We're going to just test drive this thing, see if we like it. Once around the block. At the end of our our last song together, it's going to be Carol of the Bells, okay? It's an old Ukrainian hymn, and there's no words to it, okay? So we're just going to listen, but I want you to listen with your palms up. And while you're listening, it's going to be a fantastic instrumental. I want you to be just praying within yourselves, saying, Lord, I want you to speak to me. I want you to teach me maybe the power of beautiful music. I I just want my ears to enjoy the fullness of what people can do in creation from nothing to symphony. Palms up. And then here's here's the the frog. You know, eat that frog. Tomorrow, tomorrow, do something with your worship. You can combine the two assignments, but when, when you pray, pray with your palms up. Or maybe tomorrow, start tomorrow, get on the side of your bed, old school, kneel down and pray. Hold, if, you know, if you have somebody special, hold their hand. I'm not a touchy guy, you know, and maybe we need to change that. Make it physical. Put your arm around that person. Hold them and pray. If you could combine these two, you know, you could, if you're a, pacif- if you're a pacifist, right, you could, I'm not getting out of bed until I hear this song all the way to the end, and I have my worship experience and pray and acknowledge God's presence in my life. Then I'll do something. But you got to eat that frog. You start, and you don't finish until you're done. Change your physical expression of worship. Do that for the next 10 days see what happens in your life. When you bring the presence of God into your life in these ways that are known to us but not practiced by us, the power of music and the power of posture being physical, you're going to have an easy way to remember that it is Yahweh that is our salvation. Yahweh is our salvation. And that's the point of Christmas is to get our, our, all of our hearts, minds, souls, and bodies involved in the worship experience. That's how we keep from being distracted in all the chaos. Worship is just, it's just a reaction to right? who God is. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the servant of men, and He is the ruler of men. He is the crucified servant. And he is the king of all kings. He's the lamb of God. And he is the lion of Judah. Let's do this. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Do you want to hold a hand? You can do that. If you want to put an arm around someone? You can do that. Pull your, pu- rotate your palms up. Let's just try this. And then as, I, when we finish this, Listen to the carol of bells. We're gonna to have to pass a plate in there. That's kind of weird, but yeah, listen to, the, listen to the music. Palms up, Lord, we give you our bodies in our worship. We give you our ears and how it, it gets somehow, it's connected to our souls, our thoughts, our minds. You are worthy of this worship. There are men and women here, Lord, I know they're grieving and they're afraid and their palms are up and they want, they want to receive your presence and your hope. There are people in this room, Lord, they are so grateful. And they are so thankful. And their joy is overflowing and they want you to see it overflow. It's coming out the sides. There's not enough to hold. Their arms aren't strong enough to express to you how grateful they are. There are some that are crushed with guilt and shame and they like to, they'd like to feel that you would take that from them and they're holding their arms out, their palms are up so they might receive your honor. There are people that struggle so desperately being anxious, Lord, would you, would you give them your peace? Lord, we worship you for who you are and we respond to what you've done. You put eternity in a manger, had him be a carpenter, a traveling rabbi who was killed as a criminal, who all along was the Lord of Lord, the King of kings, and every knee will bow Every knee will bow. That's a worshipful thing to do. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to God the Father, to the glory of God the Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.